this computer. Hey, did you hear that? I heard it. Okay, here we are. Another edition of Spirit of the Game. I am thrilled, I mean thrilled, to be joined by, I'll say it, our very own Robert Duke. And by the way, Robert, you live on because I call Lewis Harry, our tournament, our rules and competitions director, Robert, all the time. So sure he loves stuck that. In, yeah, he does love it very much. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Just to put you at ease, this is an audio-only recording, so you could be making faces or whatever you want. So thanks for joining. Um, so let's just sort of set the tone here and um, tell us about, uh, well, let me just kind of introduce Robert properly. Uh, and Robert was our director of rules and competitions for, what was it, four years? Five? Four or five years, yeah. Four or five yeah. years, yeah. Um, and now as a referee, is that the right title? Referee, what is your title? Rules official, either way. Rules official for the LPGA. So long journey to get get there. So so let's start at the beginning. How did you get introduced to golf? And and then how did that segue into golf administration? Yeah, um, glad to be here, first of all. Um, definitely miss Colorado. And that was part of my journey. So we'll get there. But, um, you know, grew up. My dad got me into the game, which I think is pretty common. Um, and during you know high school got a job at the little course down in franklin and uh, tennessee i grew up in tennessee uh, i went to belmont university but in high school got a job and i was selling range tokens and slushies behind the counter there for the driving range of the part three course uh obviously big golfer love golf love golf um then you know realized that this could be somewhat of a career you know if i kept pursuing it and um, got a job with the Tennessee Golf Association my first year after my after my freshman year um, out on the TGA Junior Tour, which is operated by the Tennessee Golf Association. Has since been bought, sponsored, uh, whatever, by Brant Snedeker. It's now the Sneds Tour, uh, and they're doing a lot of good things. But got my start there, and it was, you know, 20 interns. Hey, we're having a tournament out here at this course. Maybe it's marked, maybe it's not. The holes are cut where they are. Here's some scorecards. Go run it. Um, very soon I was like, this is what I want to be doing. And again, realized there's a, a very niche career there. Um, so kept pursuing that and was pretty lucky. You know, I was 18, 19 years old and immediately knew what I wanted to do. And I know that's not very common. Uh, I know some people are still looking for what they really want to do when they grow up. Um, but I, I heard right away, I was very lucky to figure that out. So kind of kept pulling at that thread and, um, did internships and did a, internship with the junior tour down in Florida for a summer, uh, did a boat ride internship, which for those listening is, is co-funded by the USGA to get people, you know, like me that are interested in golf administration into golf administration. And I did that out in Northern California, um, at the NCGA and was at Pebble beach for the better part of a year doing that. And then was on the operations team for the AT&T program. So I got to go to Pebble every day for work for two or three months, which was really cool, obviously. Um, from there, again, I, I knew I wanted to do more inside the ropes, rules and comps versus the ops side of it, um, which I see a lot now more on the LPGA tour with the ops part of it because of the build outs and the, and the you know footprint outside the ropes. Um, but we knew I wanted to go inside the ropes, um, took a job with the Illinois section PGA in Chicago for two years as their director of rules and competitions right out of my boat, right? Um, and then from there, I went to Colorado golf association here in Denver. Uh, first time I'd ever been to Colorado. Uh, I remember thinking when I was driving back, Ashley Barnhart was driving me back from interview 
And I was like, wow, I didn't realize the mountains are like right there. And um, it was very cool. I, I just, you know, I'm from the South and, you know, we have our mountains over there, but it was just, you know, right there was really cool. Anyways, obviously got that job and uh, did that for four or five years um, in Denver and then went to the Symmetra tour at the time, Epson tour now, which is the pathway to the LPGA tour, the developmental tour for the LPGA tour. Uh, there are 10 cards handed out a year for the top 10 Epson players uh, to go to the LPGA tour for status, but did that for about a year and a half, two years, and then joined the LPGA tour full-time uh, here in this last January. So it's June right now. So I've been doing that for about six months on the, on the LPGA and um, here we are. So it, it come a long way from again, selling range tokens and slushies at the part three course. <laughs> you sure have. And it's really, uh, so cool for us to be able to part, be a part of that journey and hopefully provided uh, some important development and opportunities for you to, to hone your skills. Uh, so um, we, you, you're, you're part of a great lineage between you and Thomas Pagel and Pete Liss, who's on the PGA Tour, all of whom have gone on to uh, really, um, you know, be feathers in the cap of the CGA. So we're very proud of you. So let's start in, this is a rules of golf podcast. So um, every month we put out a new podcast. Hopefully, uh, our listeners are enjoying them. Um, we did get our first sort of nasty gram. Uh, and if that listener is listening, we do appreciate you, uh, from our, the topic was, um, rules, the most debated rules. And basically the criticism was we were agreeing with the rules, the way they're written. And, but the, you know, things like divots and fairways anchoring, yeah. You know, stuff that people really want to get just gets their gets them foaming at the mouth. Yeah. And um the 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 listener said, Well, if you're gonna just agree with the USGA, what makes them what makes them debated? And I was like, sorry, that's kind of what there's a reason why, as I have always said, those who criticize the rules are criticizing this is a quote from Richard Francis, generations of sane and sensible golfers. So if you really think a rule is stupid, then just I think the the rules humble us and train mm -hmm. us um, to appreciate them. And I, I would be curious what, how you'd react to that. Uh, is that from the golfers at law book that Richard Francis quote? No, I think that's no golfers at law was written by Jeffrey cousins. Mm, that's right. Uh, great book. Um, but yeah. no, the Richard Francis was chair of the rules committee. And there's anyway, what, what do you think about that? When people say, you know, first of all, let me just ask you the question. What do you think mm -hmm. are the most debated rules? I mean, I think the divot in the fairway is number one. Um, and I guess the qu your question was, um, you know, it wasn't really a debate. You were agreeing with them. Well, obviously, like that got a reaction out of, of that commenter. Um, I think that's something that we as rules officials get asked a lot of. And me personally, I'll just be in my cart at, you know, an event and people will come up. And most of the time it's like, hey, where's the 18th hole? And it's okay over there. But sometimes they'll <laughs> say, hey, I got a rolling for you. And I'm obviously actively working. So a lot of times I'm like, well, it's a table list or sometimes you can talk to them or whatever, but they'll say, yeah, in my club event or whatever, this happened. And, you know, I, I do still get a decent amount that say, Hey, what's with the whole divot in the fairway? Like, when's that going to be like, you know, obviously G U R. Um, I think that's what all people reckon it to is, is it's ground under repair, which of course it's not. And it's, it's such a central principle to the rules and how you play the game. You play the courses, you found it you know, we accept the good with the bad, you know, we used to talk about that in our rules seminars where, 
I'd say, you know, if, if you roll it out of the divot, you know, by the same token, if you slice it off in the woods and it hits a tree and bounces back into the fairway, I assume that you also pick that ball up and go throw it back in the woods because that's where you hit it. And, and if you don't take the bad breaks, you certainly won't take the good breaks, right? Obviously that's not true. So yeah, to me, the number one is, is divot in the fairway. And I don't think it will ever change and it shouldn't ever change um, based on, again, you know, that's such a core principle to everything else around it is playing the course as you find it within reason. Obviously there are other rules that say, okay, you're in temporary water. You're on an obstruction. You've got, you know, a TIO in your way. You're not going to play the ball as it lies. You've got a grandstand there. We're going to get you out, but central to that, you know, you're on the surface of the ground, you know, your lie is such a big component of how you play your next shot. I don't think that will or can ever change. Right. Well, I want to focus our conversation because you and I could talk forever yeah. And we have, thankfully, we worked together for four or five years. So we got to talk a lot and disagree a lot, which was always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to really focus the conversation on the LPGA, uh, your role as a, as a rules official. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a big fan of the LPGA. Um, I, I just think the the talent out there, you've seen it. So, you know, and I also want to keep the focus on rules as well. So we'll try to stay in that lane as best we can. But mm-hmm. just to kind of set the context, for the LPGA, can you sort of explain or, or or just sort of share what you saw already is the difference between the Epson tour, mm. the level of play, and now on the LPGA tour? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there's certainly, a, you know, I will say there is overlap. There's a lot of really talented players on Epson tour that when you see them play, you're like, you know, they're going to be successful one day um the one that the biggest one that stands out for me was Lilia Vu I mean she's won um she won this year um in Thailand earlier and then I was at she won again um and she was someone I saw in the Epstein where you just you could see her yeah, she won already. she won the Chevron right yeah Chevron yes Thailand yeah. and Chevron and so yeah she's a major champion already and when I started on the Symmetra tour you know she'd been up and down a couple times I think but I can, you know, she was on the Epson tour for that season. She, you could just see her shining. So there's a lot of good players. You know, I think the players that you see, um, that you think I, to me that are going to, you know, make it on the LPGA or they're, you know, they have incredible consistency. Uh, they have a really good short game. You know, they're not gonna, um, they're smart. They're, they're going to make good decisions. They're not gonna, they're going to take their medicine. They're going to play, you know, okay, well, I'm just going to punch out and try to make par versus I'm going to try to make that hero shot to make birdie. You know, they understand they can make a lot of pars and then make two or three birdies. And that's a good day. You know, they're not trying to get it all back at once. Uh, I think they, you know, they stay within themselves. So, um, you know, a lot of it too is composure. You know, you, you play on the Epson tour, there's maybe not a lot of people there. Then you go to the Chevron, you go to a big event and there's a lot of people there. I mean, I think we're going to see that hopefully this weekend at the KPMG, which is a ball to straw. That's a major um, two weeks. The women's opens at Pebble beach, which will be amazing. I'm not going to either of those, but I will I'll definitely be able to tune in on TV and, and watch the coverage. I think that'll be great, but there's that pressure that you really can't replicate when you've got fans and cameras and, and, and just all that pressure on the line, you've got that purse. Um, so the biggest difference, I think, you know, I'll, you know, rolling with the player and there's, so many people are and, and you think it's just me and you there because they're just they're very calm they're composed this is just part of their job and you know it's it's they never let the moment get too big i think um and they just they just they're just playing golf and 
some players are better at that than others, obviously. And I think you see that on big stages. Um, but to me, that's the biggest difference. And, you know, um, they all, you know, a lot of the players, they drive the ball well, but to me, it's, it's that, that short game where they're getting up and down consistently from a lot of places. And it's not that they're necessarily chip, you know, chipping the ball to like a foot and tapping it in. A lot of them are, but they'll be in a tough position, get it out to like 10, 12 feet and make that par putt. That's right. a big difference. And you do that a couple of times around. That's a huge boost. Uh, so to me, that's the biggest thing is that short game and just staying composed uh, in the moment when the moment gets really big. So one of the biggest topics being discussed right now um and it certainly um, meets our definition of debated is the rollback of the golf ball. Um, I have my opinions on it, which I'll do my best to keep out of this, at least out of this question. Um, do you think, first of all, what do you think about it? Mm-hmm. Number one. And number two, do you think it should be, is it relevant to the LPGA? Is that, or is that just a men's elite game uh, topic? Yeah. I mean, it, so when you look at it, right, you've got, the world of golf, I think in from reading, you know, the model local rule, the proposed model local rule, the USJ has put out in their distance insights project. It's, it's not for that 99%, right. That's playing at the amateur level, you know, it's that, that weekend player maybe. So it's not them trying to roll back that it's for the elite competitions. And I don't think they really even get to men versus women. They just say elite, elite events. Um, You know, I don't think, the LPGA needs it. Um, I, you know, I don't think, cause we're not playing courses at their maximum length. You know, we're playing courses and we're using second, third, sometimes fourth box from the rear. And we're still playing it where we have, you know, certain design features in play and we're able to get the full gamut of clubs in play. We're, we're able to let them use, you know, try to make them use all 14 clubs. You know, they're not hitting driver off every tee. Um, so I think we, we do a good job with that. So I don't think necessarily we need it. Um, so, Okay, taking that out is it's probably looking more toward the men's game, whether it be PGA Corn Ferry, um, elite amateur, you know, NCAA's. I don't know. Um, I've gone back and forth on it. You know, I think, you know, I've, you know, we I, we had talked about it where, you know, it's like you have all these these golf courses that become they have to be lengthened, they they become extinct because you know the elite tour player can carry it and all you have to do is change the ball and those features come back into play and it puts more of a emphasis on not driving the ball off the tee just stupid far and that bomb and gouge thing um so i don't know i mean i i go back and forth on it i think you know you've got a lot of other things with course setup right you know firmness of fairways um you know how there's just the golf courses prepare that also helps that. I mean, you get that, that bounce, you know, how firm the, the fairways are. Um, that also helps it. So I, don't know, I, I would, I think I'd like to see it um, maybe on the men's game, but I don't know what that opens up. I mean, it's, this game is however, you know, 400 years old or whatever, and we've never done anything like this as far as I know, where you roll back the golf ball. It's kind of the, and there's not never been a leash on it. Um, I mean, there, I guess there has been within reason of, you know, there's MOI and there's restrictions, but to consciously stop that growth, that's never really been done before, as far as I can see. So it sounds like, you know, they have all these papers out there. They have these dates of, you know, comment period, and this would theoretically take place 
January 1st, 26, I think. So they've got these things in place. So it feels like it might be coming. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. Um, Cause it sounds like they're going to do it, but I don't know at what level and how it will affect the game. And I know bifurcation has always been a bad word. I listened to the one with Thomas recently, and I think he said options. You have different options now to use as model local rule, but I've always likened it to baseball, right? You know, when you go to the majors, you're using a wooden bat. Now you're not using an aluminum bat and that's probably for the best because if you're using aluminum bats, then, you know, it'd just be a home run derby. So I'd be interested to see how it goes. I think it'll be a good change of pace. And um, if it goes through and if it works, you know, that could change how, you know, it's, it's played on the tour level. Cause I yeah, think well, that's I, what you're going to do it for. I like your, open-mindedness you've gone back and forth and i think that shows just how thoughtful you are but frankly how thoughtful i think a lot of times we're all viewed and i'll put myself in this category when you're when you're study the rules and when you're viewed as an expert in the rules that you just are these sort of robots that just agree with Hmm. it takes a long time to get to that point and once you get to that point and and i'll be the first to point out things i still would like to see changed in the rules but Again, it's very humbling when you realize just when you really think about some, a topic on a deeper level. And I'm with you. I'm. I shouldn't say that. I'm not with you. I'm. I'm all for the rollback. Who am I kidding? Um, yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so you said something there that I, I wanted to pick up on, and it and it certainly it may not be necessarily rules, but it's about your job, and that's setting up for a championship for a mm-hmm. tournament. And I love what you said about using the third, fourth box up, and. To me, that's part of the reason the rollback is needed is there's no creativity in course setup anymore. And I think you arrive at it. Obviously, that all needs to be done well in advance. You need to get, you know, the firmness mm-hmm. and rough heights perfect. Whereas when, you, when you're running a, a women's event, you 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 even if you haven't done a lot of prep, you have options to create a playing experience. Um, and so just talk about when you're an advance official, what goes into setting up for a tournament? And what are the things you consider? And I love what you said about getting them to use all 14 clubs. So just elaborate yeah. on that. Yeah. So we do have uh LPG has an agronomist that, you know, is working with the superintendent and he was, he, he is a GCSA member for 20, 25 years. He was at a grassroots facility for a long time. So he speaks the language with the superintendent, not that we can't, um, but he is, he's in there early and he's talking about, here's what we expect. Here's what we need as far as, you know, because we're going, you know, especially the LPG tier, we're worldwide. So we're playing on different kinds of grass, different kinds of soil, different kinds of elevation, even. I mean, we go to, you know, if we don't go to Denver, but if we did, that would be part of it is, okay, well, how far do we need to play this tee? Because now we have elevation problems or differences. So he's going all over the world and working with different kinds of supers and different kinds of climates. So he's going in there saying, here's what we need. You know, here's the feel we need. And, and how do we get it there based on your type of golf course, your type of drainage, your type of, of soil, your type of everything uh, and the layout and how we want it to play. So he'll go in there with a the mind of how, you know, the distance that we want to play from and kind of the conditions we expect. So he's doing a lot of that with, with the super on site. Obviously the advanced official is, is having communication with the superintendent as well, but we do have an agronomist who's really world-class and in, in doing in, in, speaking that language with, you know, the superintendent and tying that into how we want a professional competition to perform and how do we want the course to behave. And that obviously a big part of that is green speeds and, and 
firmness and, you know, how far, how we want the ball rolling. Um, you know, there's obviously courses where if we got, you know, the roll up to a 13 with as pitched as the greens are, it just wouldn't work. So sometimes that might be an 11, 11 and a half. Sometimes it's a 12, 12 and a half. So he's in there early doing that. You know, we're looking at, you know, first setting up the golf course, um, you know, what our average and highest carries are, what our lowest carries are. So we're, we're not, you know, boxing out someone who's on the low side. Also we're looking at, and I've had this where, we have a dog leg, but if we, you know, the T, if you just looked at it on paper, like, oh, we want to play it at this distance. Well, if we did our average driver, wouldn't be able to get around a certain corner or have a forced carry. So you're looking at that and making sure that the course is playable for everyone. Certainly we're not setting it up, you know, on, on the low end where the bigger players are just going to be, um, you know, able to so if shoot, I can, you know, if drive I, the green. I, yeah. If I can interrupt there, I'm just curious, what are the average drive lengths for an LPGA player? Um, Average, I would say, you know, we get probably 260, 270. Average? On the, end. on the higher end, yeah. Um, I mean, we get players that easily get 290. Um, oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But Maybe, average, yeah, maybe like yeah. 260-ish. And there's, you know, yeah. our performance insights, I need to look into that more. But from what I see, it's, you know, around 260 or so, I'd say. Yeah, um, yeah. 250 even. But, so, you know, we take that into account and, and, you know, kind of what's in that area. Um, and again, like you said, we want to, you know, like I said, we want to divvy it up. We don't want every drive to leave them with 150 in, 160 in. And do, you, do you do you feel like uh, distance is as much of an advantage on the LPGA Tour as it is on the PGA Tour? Do you think it's the longest hitters that are dominating just like the men's side? Um, I think it's an advantage. I don't think it's everything. You know, I think obviously if, if, player a can hit the ball 290 and player b is hitting it 255 260 that's going to be an advantage but you've got those players who they're not as long certainly um and they're still winning because they're such good ball strikers and have such good short games so on any given week we have players who are not as long and average or below average on distance which again you know probably 250 260 i think 270 yeah. is probably high end 250 260 on average yeah. um there's still gonna there's still gonna be people that are gonna win. So it's not like every week it's the longest possible hitters because you know if those hitters that are the longest ones are having a bad you know wedge game, their their putts aren't dropping, then they're just not gonna win. Mm-hmm. Conversely, someone's hitting seven iron and someone else is hitting five or six iron, but they're just sure. playing better. They're gonna they're gonna do it. So I don't think it's tried and true. Oh, the longest hitters are gonna win. I think it's always going to be an advantage. I think you you know choosing the options you'd rather be 20 yards further than where you are sure but yeah it's not going to so, yield you know wins every time i don't think right so when you have you i assume you've done some advanced work or is that something that gets sort of since you're relatively new to the lpga yeah. tour is that something the more experienced officials are asked to do yeah no that's a good question so i i the only epson tour you know i started advancing toward the end of my first well beginning of my second year i came in in a weird time where it was the middle of the season so I kind of co-advanced and I've done that this year, you know, so if I haven't done a full advance, I will do one later this year. Uh, and for us and people listening, the advance work, you know, you have your tournament week, your advance official is getting in the Monday before tournament week on site. So you are on site for, for two weeks and you are the one who's marking the golf course, working with, 
you know, staff on site. Obviously, like I said, you're talking with the super prior along with the agronomist. Um, so there's a lot more that goes into it. And I was kind of liking it to the advanced officials, the one hosting the dinner for the other rules officials. They're setting up, you know, they've got, every, you know, they're the ones in charge of the admin that week. The other officials are coming in and, and being rules officials, which is what I'm currently doing. So I've co-advanced and, and shadow advanced earlier this year, and I'll do my own later this year. But yeah, it's definitely not something you start and then right away you're like, oh, you're advancing this event. There's, you know, you need to, there's a lot of observation. There's a lot of questions and, and checklists of how we do things. So there's definitely an indoctrination period of how, um, how to do things. So I will be doing it later this year, um, but just yeah. not yet. Like, I, miss your, I miss your, I miss your. I miss your analogies. I love that hosting oh, the yeah. dinner. Hosting the dinner for the other. You're like the the past the immediate past champion at the Masters. You pick the food and <laughs> right. Yeah, you're everyone's just showing up on the Monday of tournament week. And I've already you know you've already been there for a week and yeah. you know you're you're the way. If there's a problem with something, there you know official will come to you as the advance and say, hey, you know this is some this is something I noticed. Can you get with the super or get with whomever and, and your point of contact to fix that? And that could be a lot of things. But um, right. does that yeah, does that like role does that role continue throughout the week in terms of once the tournament is dialed in and everything's mm -hmm. up and running? Or is the advance official kind of sort of uh, taking a different role? Or you know during the competition itself, or are they just out doing base play and, and like everybody else? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, yeah, pretty much the advance official is is doing all of that in addition to being a, a regular rules official. Um, so the advance official, they're still doing setup. They're going to set up the back nine. And that's, you know, setting the tees in the morning and, and selecting the all locations uh, every day where they're going to go for the back nine. Another official does the front. So the advance is still doing that. They're still, you know, sending out things to media and, and to other invested parties. If here's the, you know, here's the yardage you're doing for that day. So there's a little more paperwork, but the advanced official will be out on the golf course and just officiating and, you know, okay, my zone, we need John two, three, four. I'll, the advanced official would go to two, three, four and officiate. And if a group needs to be timed or whatever, then the advanced official is doing that too. So there being a rules official along with their other um, advanced, advanced right. duties. So there's, right. there's a lot going on for an advanced official. You know, that, that's a big, big two weeks. And, certainly big tournament because you're having to balance a lot of that um, with everything else going on. Yeah. Okay. Keeping the conversation going, I want to hit on a lot of different things. So uh, this is kind of a broad topic, but what is the, what is the most common ruling that mm. you are making week in and week out? Well, um, I'll give you top five because it's kind of a mixed bag depending on the golf course. Right. So we might have just the way it's set up or the way, you know, we might have a cart path right next to a penalty area and it's in a hot area. So we're going to get a lot of balls there. So we're going to be doing a lot of, a lot of double drops from the penalty area under the cart path. And then, you know, taking cart path relief and all that entails. So that could be any given week. That, I could have 10 rulings a day on a specific hole because of that. Um, most recently we did one at Liberty national on the 10th hole. There was a lot of that. So that week we had a lot of double drops from a red penalty area onto a cart path. Um, Still get a lot of obstruction stuff, you know, um, cart path, just confirming, um, hey, I'm really near this sprinkler head. And I think we did a rules video on it about when, you know, when do I have interference, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a lot of stuff on on TV where you see that. Um, so that's still a big one of, hey, just confirming, you know, I'm, I'm able to get relief because my ball is 
yay far behind it and I'm going to dig. Yeah. Okay. Or I'm in the rough, but I'm standing on a sprinkler. Can I drop that in the fairway? That's a big one. We, we still get a decent amount. Get a lot of the two and two situations where sprinkler head is near the mm-hmm. green and, and in a closely mown area. Uh, that one's a big one. And, you know, just confirming and because that's a little, you know, a little involved in making sure they're doing everything right. Um, and uh, with the other players, uh, TIOs, sometimes it depends, you know, like at, at Chevron, uh, you know, the way it was set up, you know, we, I think essentially stationed an official pretty close to 18 to say, we're getting calls every group or two. It'd be nice just to have someone there instead of having to go back every time. So depending on the way that's set up, we get a lot of TIO stuff for grandstands or for bleachers or whatever. Um, Still get a lot of, you know, for GUR where a player says, hey, you know, is this going to repair? Is it not? You know, they're looking for relief. Um, again, you know, we went to a course in Arizona in that specific week. It was a desert course. You get a lot of either lost balls or, okay, I found my ball in the brush and I got to take an unplayable. And usually it's going to be, you know, 30, 40 yards back on the line into another fairway. So we're helping that procedure just by the way that kind of the feng shui of the course is you know, it's back and forth and there's just a lot of brush. So you miss the fairway a little bit that two club lengths or stroke and distance option isn't appealing. So you got to kind of help with that back on the line. So that's a big one. Um, yeah. So those, that's kind of our top five to 10, I guess, but um, yeah. Yeah. So when I think of crazy, when I think about officiating at, at that, the level you're at BGA, LPGA, I think about TIOs as being, cause it seems like every time you're seeing a ruling mm-hmm. on television, it's off often, a leader, somebody in contention dealing with a TIO. Right. Um, what would be your sort of overall, first of all, explain TIO is a temporary immovable obstruction. Yeah. They're they're not dealt with in the day-to-day game, uh, not even at the state level. These are yeah. erected um, uh, obstacles that are there only for the conduct of the tournament, mm-hmm. largely corporate hospitality. How would you, how do you sort of just give us, you're so good at this, kind of your overall view of them, to kind of explain yeah. the philosophy of why, why does a player get relief from these things? It's so different than yeah. what we're used to. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, and you know, the reason you see it is because usually it's late in the round and it's a little abnormal, you know, they're not going to show necessarily a player taking relief from a cart path or a sprinkler. That's pretty common. So you do get that on TV a little more. Um, and that's, you know, it is kind of a TV role, right. In that regard. Cause when I was working prior to this, you know, I didn't really, I mean, I knew the TIROs, but I didn't really dive into them like I would the other roles. Cause it's like, when am I going to reuse that? Is that the, you know, CGA match player, the CGAM within reason of, you know, maybe it's a starting tent somewhere. Right. So really didn't have that big of a scope on it before, but now it's every event you've got one. And, and, you know, really it's just boiling it down and it's kind of simplifying it as best you can. Cause it is a little intimidating when you see this big grandstand around a green and that's really what it is. Right. To your question, what is a TIO? It's, you know, and the rule kind of says this and they've updated the rules this year on it and it had a few more diagrams that really make it a lot easier to kind of digest. But it's something that's erected in conjunction with the competition, you know, that's, you know, grandstands, uh, portalettes, right? You know, you've got fans there, you've got food vendors, you've got generators, you've got leaderboards, scoreboards. So all this stuff that in six months at that golf course is not there. It's there for a very specific reason to host this competition and to host thousands of people that are coming out again with the infrastructure of, of bathrooms and, and food and, and grandstands and all that stuff. So it's not common for a, 
average everyday golf, obviously. Um, but it's something we, you know, have to use at a competition. So like everything else in the rules, right. You know, at one point there were never cart paths on the golf course and then someone invented carts and then they invented cart paths. And now we have to have a rule for cart paths. And so someone said we should have grandstands and bathrooms and food and, and, you know, generators. So we have to make a rule for that. Um, so the way I look at it and the easiest thing for me is you just treat it as, you know, as an, you can treat it as an obstruction, right? You can just take relief and just imagine it right as a giant sprinkler box. That's, that's an easy way to kind of mulch through it is to say, all right, well, if this was a sprinkler box, it really wouldn't be intimidating. We'd just get our area of intended swing off from there. We get a club length, drop it. There are times and that's not, the op- not, not an option, you know, right. Because they're well behind it. So you just, you're swinging them out. Um, and most of the stuff when you're behind it is, is really not that difficult. You're just finding the corridor and, and getting out or, if they want to take physical interference, you can, but the ones that seem a little trickier riders, when you've got the green and you've got a horseshoe built around it, where, you know, physical interference, you know, that's, that's going to take you maybe 30, 40 yards in a direction, in which case, you know, we're, we're contemplating that and expecting that. So we're putting in drop zones and we're putting in, you know, notices about where you can and can't go. Cause this is closer. We're going to go to the nearest. And, you know, so we, we definitely spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about that and putting it in the local rules and making sure we're not a disadvantaging anybody and b giving someone a totally good advantage because there's a TIO. And sometimes that's just the way it is, right? If you've got a TIO right behind the green and someone hits a bad shot or an errant shot and launches it into the TIO as a kind of a backstop, well, nothing we can really do about that. That's just the way it is. Um, so we have to accommodate that in the fairest possible way. Um, but again, that's something that you really, it's hard to prepare for other than just reading the rule. You know, you don't get a lot of experience doing TIOs until you start doing this type of event. I mean, with all the other stuff I listed with cart paths and, and unplayables and, and GUR, you get that from day one, you know, I was working junior tour stuff. You know, we didn't have grandstands at the junior tour or CJ, obviously. So it's something you just adapt to. And again, once you do enough of them, it's, it's you know, yeah. a little getting at first. You know, but you've you, already... You, You've already kind of uh, helped me just thinking of it as a big, that's why your ability to use uh, examples or use analogies is so great as a way to teach Mm -hmm. the rules Um, and think of it as a big sprinkler box. I mean, I I know that that's, it's not because if you're, if it's in your, uh, I tend to go to the more complex where it intervenes on the player's uh, direct line to the hole, but there's trees in between and kind of these really complex ones. Yeah. I would say nine times out of 10, they're probably pretty straightforward. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that you kind of figure out is not figure out as you go, but as you do more of these rulings, you know, nine times out of 10, yeah, you're just taking your normal relief off of it, but there are those times. And again, I think the USGA did a good job with the new rules this year. The new, I should say the new TIO rules is a new, I think they call it a brochure or something or at the back of, you know, rules. I have to, yeah, I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah, they did a really good job with Although I never I never have that opportunity, which I'm glad. Okay. Yeah. I wanna I wanna just um so we have about 10 minutes, let's say. Yeah. Um any controversial ruling so far where you've had to you found yourself in the on the hot seat with a player? Um I wouldn't say anything controversial. You don't have to name the player, but it'd be a lot more fun if you do. No, I, I <laughs> I tried to think about that before we started because I figured you might ask that. And I, I can't think of anything that was controversial where there was any, you know, two players were arguing back and forth. You know, I will say a common situation is, you know, you've, you've got a, a tee box and, and 
just where the penalty area is, like right off the tee, it's that, oh, where did it cross kind of thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I thought it crossed here. Well, I thought it crossed here. Um, and that's really as, you know, let's say contentious as it's gotten. But for me, that's the kind of where you got two players who don't really agree on it. Um, and you just have to mulch through it and, and, and try to figure out the best possible or the most correct spot of where it went in. And it's not a perfect science. I know, you know, a lot of times we're not on TV, but I know when I was watching, I watched the PGA and I think Kepka hit it on the last day where it was like, oh, we don't know where it crossed. And it was like a weird creep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the hole. It was like six, yeah. And then they, during the broadcast, they had, you know, the um, the tracker mm-hmm. was like, oh, it like had like a 3D like version of the hole and like the exact fly to the ball. Like, oh, here's where it crossed. Exactly. Yeah. And they could radio the rules official, which is really nice. Say, hey, it crossed about 30 yards behind that tree or whatever. Give them a marker. Say it crossed about 30 yards behind that tree. Right. by Yeah. Right behind the red stick. Yeah. There you go. And you're just estimating and going. We don't get that a lot. Um, so the most controversial I'll get are, are stuff like that. Where we're deciding where the ball crossed. Uh, and again, nothing's really ever gotten overly mm-hmm. contentious um, from my spot. We we're able to figure it out, you know, in a usually in a quick manner and an accurate manner, which is the most important thing that it's correct and, and keep playing. But other than that, I've not had anything where there's to me been an argument or there's been a, uh, we don't know, or, or, this is we're going out we feel like we're going outside of the rules at all you know it's usually pretty um you know it's pretty straightforward you know there's not a lot of brain bending things that happen i mean there's certainly stuff where you're like okay let's think about this and make sure we're right but nothing ever controversial and certainly in my short time that's been on tv where you know we're we're having to weed through it on the last day and and it's it's a big situation we're in there's two parties that are really getting after it or, or getting after me. I, I haven't had that happen yet. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, part of the reason I asked that is when Pete Liss, who was uh, you, like you went from the CJ to the LPJ tour, had a Suzanne Pedersen had a warm welcome for him and basically told, gave him a, a dressing down as the newbie. So I'm glad oh, you yeah. avoided that. Um, yeah. So I purposely saved this for last because if we did, if I made it the first topic, you know, me, we never get off of it. And that's pace of play. Uh, so we're going to put ourselves on the clock. So we have five minutes to talk about pace of play. And I promise the listeners are like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to talk about pace. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's such a fundamental. This is a soapbox. You know me well yes. uh, for me. Um, so just just give us kind of your sense of and having now worked CJ events, seen mm-hmm. it at that level, works yeah. Epson, now LPGA. What are the common denominators with pace of play that you see? how big a problem is it? Mm-hmm. And if it is a problem, how would you propose addressing it maybe differently than we are now? Yeah. I mean, I, I like our pace of play policy a lot. I will say in the Epson tour and LPGA use the exact same policy. The only difference is maybe the, the amounts of a fine could trigger. Um, but I like our policy in that, and I'm not going to go through it all, but it, in short, it, it gives a player, the group, a warning when they're out of position and then it triggers okay, you were warned, you didn't make up position. Now you, you will be timed until you do. And that's something I think you and I talked about before I got into that of, you know, because the CGA we had at this one point, like, oh, you're, you're, you missed your checkpoint. Here's a stroke penalty maybe. And we'll decide at the end of the round whether it sticks or not. And, you know, one of your things, I think you said there are two things in life that you're taught. One, before you punish me, you'll warn me. And two, you wait in line and it's your turn. You stand in line. And you, you you wait and then, then it's your turn. And those things are a little, I think, 
unre- they're unrelated in this regard, but we do give a warning. So I do like that to say, hey, officially, this is this is a warning. You know, you're you're behind for whatever reason. You know, you need to, you need to pick it up. So I do like that. Um, you know, with pace of play, it's it's interesting because it's something that everyone's involved in, whether you know it or not, or whether you like it or not. As soon as you hit that ball on the first tee, you are now involved in pace of play. You are in position with the group in front of you. You're holding up the group behind you. You are X, Y, Z under your time par. Uh, and all that goes into, you know, sp- especially your position in relation to the group in front of you, whether you're out of position or not. That's our trigger. So you could play 18 holes. And you may not ever have a ruling, but the minute you tee off, you are involved in pace of play. You're in the middle of it. You're at the front of it. You're at the back of it. You are involved. So it is very important um, that, you know, we keep it going. And I, again, I think our policy is good and it does that. Um, but it's not the same for everyone. I know CG had a different policy. AJG had a different policy. PJ Tour is a different policy. I don't know what that is, but everyone's got a little different velocity of how to make it work for their players at their events with, with whatever's going on. Um, so I don't think there's one perfect answer because if there was, and we'd all be doing it that way. And I don't know, maybe the perfect answer was when they did the shot clock master, right? That's very labor intensive. And, you know, they you, you time every, every player, every shot, maybe that's the way to do it, but that's, that's really hard to do. So, and, yeah. And, so and, uh, do you think it's, do you think the pace of play is a problem in, 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 in high level competitive golf or even all golf? I mean, do you think, um, let's just leave it in your world. Let's not, yeah. Is it a problem? I would say it's a problem. I'd say it's there and, and there are slow players and there are fast players. And that's what our policy is. It's rulemaking to have a consistent flow on the golf course and making sure that we're not take, I think pace of play is a problem. If we're taking, you know, way too long to play golf, call it six hours. Then I think that's a problem, but what our, and what every, I think tours policy does and is intended to do is to keep it moving at a consistent pace. Obviously there's some situations where, if there's a ruling in front or we've got a, a you know, drivable par four, we're going to have a backup there and there's nothing we can do. But overall, every tour's policy is to keep play moving at a consistent pace and, and to keep it moving at a proper pace. So I think the problem comes when there maybe there isn't a policy and there isn't a way to get players around. Because I don't I think if there's not a policy, you know, you say, hey, can you play quicker? Players are going to say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my time as much time as I want. And, and that could be an issue. So I don't think it's a problem. Overall, I think it's something that we have to address because, again, like once you tee off, you are involved in pace of play. So we have to keep an eye and we have to keep a mind on that to move it along. Right. No, I like that a lot. And it's a train. I've always said, you know, right. You, you get on a train and you're all together. Um, right. And this idea that it's one player's uh, cause, that's usually not the case very rarely. Um, right. And this idea that you can, and that's where where I really believe we should be looking is if they first of all I always one of the things I, as I've gotten older I've tried to slow down a little bit to say is it a problem and then because I my assumption is because I'm a and, and I love to solve problems and sometimes I see problems where there are no problems and so yeah. I, I like to pause on that do you think there's a problem and to me that's where you need to like distance of the golf ball is it a problem mm-hmm. and you, you, this is why that's such a um, it, it's such a, uh, divisive topic because some think it's a problem and some don't, mm-hmm. some think it's great that the golf ball is going so far. So, right. I think you'd have a larger percentage of people saying pace of play is a problem in golf than are going to say distance is a problem in golf. 
Um, but once you agree that it's a problem, then you have to get, now you have to break it down. What is the cause? How mm-hmm. big a problem is it? And, um, you yeah. know, so, you know, well, what- and that's a good point. I mean, is, is it a problem? You know, how do we address it? Um, Again, everyone's got their own way of addressing it, but everyone, but everyone has a policy. I mean, right? We, mm-hmm. everyone's got something on paper that says, "Here's our pace of play policy." Some of it's more, uh, some of it's tighter than others. Some of it's more labor intensive. Those, but everyone's got a policy. Everyone is working on it. So I think it's very important, and I think it's a big part of our job. And it is. I mean, most of our day is is looking at pace of play because that is what is the constant throughout, again, the whole competition is you are always in the middle of pace of play. And, you know, for us, there's, you know, times we need to hit there. We need, we have TV windows. We have, you know, our policy helps address that to say, you know, we expect to play at this pace and our policy helps enforce that and, and get them around in a reasonable and fair, I think amount of time. And, yeah. you know, it's not everyone would agree. And there's a lot to it. I mean, it's like traffic, right? You could have one hiccup kind of butterfly effects the entire rest of the day. And conversely, that one thing doesn't happen and and we could have better flow or worse flow. And there's a lot of moving parts to it. But I think what we do tries to keep it as consistent as possible. Yeah. Which is the goal for us. So so let's end here. Um, What is the question you were prepared for me to ask that I didn't ask? Um. I think I was prepared for you to ask the the rolling back of the golf ball, which we talked about. I thought we would spend more time on pace of play. So that was a little bit of curveball. I'm glad we got that in there because I know we've talked about it a lot. And um, that seems to be something everyone wants to talk about, which is good because, I mean, it's you know it's something that we work a lot in. Um, I was expecting a little bit, you know, I know it's a rules podcast, but just about golf in general. I live in Charleston now. Um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about, you know, the golf, how golf is going in Colorado. And this is more of a you question. So this is less rules and more state health of the game in your neck of the woods. Cause I, I miss Denver a lot. I think the golf was incredible there. I had no idea it was that good till I left and Charleston's good, but Denver was just fantastic with the access of public courses, the conditioning of the turf. I mean, I, I you know, I love the grasses in Colorado, you know, and I see grasses all over the world now, but you know, when common ground, when that was in good shape, like that was just perfect. I loved the type of grass we played on. I loved the field. I just, those little things I missed. So I thought we'd talk more about playing golf and if you're playing more golf and where you're playing golf and how golf is going. And I want to know, and I know this is going over, but I mean, you've got a big year this year. And I thought we'd talk more about the junior, uh, the girls junior down at air force. You got the USAM at cherry uh, and uh, Colorado golf. So that's a, that's a lot to have two championships. Yeah, no, I love the fact that you're champion. still following, following golf in Colorado. I want to, yeah. I intentionally wanted to talk about you. I love talking about Colorado, but your comment about the abundance of quality, high quality public golf here is so true. Yeah. And I say it all the time. I having just heard it from people who have traveled and played around it. We, I take it for granted because I grew up here and lived my whole yeah. life here, but to be able to go play a $50 golf course that is as good as Walnut Creek or, um, oh, yeah. Indian tree or you name yeah. it. They're just yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. And we're so lucky. And I don't think golfers, I think that's part of the reason why our membership has grown so much is mm-hmm. having a USJ handicap, uh, you know, is, is really cool. Cause you can play a lot of different golf. We have a lot of transient golfers who don't play at one golf course, the way you get locked in in other parts of the country, you have your one course 
that's where you're a member of and it's the one you can afford and that's it. So we're yeah. very lucky. We have this this great buffet of golf in Colorado. So Yeah. And that's that's yeah. where I'm at now is is on the public golf side. Um I play when I I don't play that much. I mean, I really don't. I play maybe once a week when I'm home and it's usually just to kill a day if I do that. Um yeah. you know, I have more off time, but I'm just not around a golf course as much, which is fine. You know, I, I don't really miss it in that way. Um, I enjoy playing with friends more than I do going about myself like I might have used to um, just to get on the golf course. So I'm, I'm on the golf course so much. I kind of look at it as more of a social activity now. Um, but yeah, I, again, exploring the options here. There's some great options in Charleston, but, you know, yeah. Denver, I mean, and not just, I mean, you have Denver, you have, you know, uh, Fort Collins, you have Colorado Springs, you've got like the mountains, right? Like that's a whole other golf scene like that. I mean, and then you've got the West Slope, and that's all. So you've got all these little pockets there that are so good, and yeah, I, I do miss that. And if I, I think I was living in Denver still, I think I would break off and try to go play a new course every week. I think that would be something I would do is to go. I'm going to go drive up to you know north of Fort Collins or west of Fort Collins and go find a course I've never played before. Because um, you know I had a lot of good access and I knew a lot of great people and the job I did, you know we involved a lot of head pros and it was, Hey, if you ever want to come play, you know, let me know. And I didn't take as much advantage of that as I wish I had. Um, and I hate doing that in the first place. I really hate just, Hey, can I come yeah. play? Um, but that said, I didn't get to enjoy them. Like maybe I could have. And yeah. if I ever go back to Denver, I'll spend a, a good chunk of time trying to play. Well, you, you miss, it sounds like you miss Denver. We definitely miss you. It was great yeah. chatting, catching up yeah. and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you looking for you on, on television, hoping you're not immersed mm -hmm. in a, in a really controversial ruling right. and uh one thing's for sure you'll get the ruling right i know that so great yeah. talking to you and thanks for spending the time with us enjoyed it very much yeah thank you for having me on thanks robert all right